Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never, Ever Give Up Hope. Never, Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. All of my guests have survived incredible circumstances, and as a result, they have the passion to help others. Isn't that amazing how that works? When we go through something that seems to be, you know, something that was hopeless and we felt helpless and yet we can turn it around later in life and actually have it be a positive for somebody else that what that's what all my guests have in common and i just find that to be such a um, testimony of the human spirit some have overcome extreme poverty and now they're successful multimillionaires. i had one guy that i interviewed who lived in a dumpster with his children And at the bottom of the dumpster that day, he thought, what am I doing here? You know, we have those those moments where we realize life shouldn't, this isn't what I set out for. I've got to do something to change it. And it usually starts with our own attitude. Some people have overcome extreme abuse of many different types, and they were able to escape and start a new life and have a story to share with other abuse victims. Some have overcome serious depression or disease, and now they're living free from that fear and pain. All of my guests are special. All of them are fighters. All of them are winners. And they want to share their story to give you tips and insights on how you and I can overcome any type of trauma, not only survive, but thrive. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries, and that shows me that no matter where you are on this globe, there are people who need to hear these stories. There are people who need that encouragement. We need encouragement in the time that we are living in more than ever. So I want to thank all my guests and their stories that they are sharing. And I want to thank all my listeners, because without you, we wouldn't have a show. Your feedback is so important. I love your input. I love your comments. And it's what makes the show a success. So thank you. With me today, I have Barbara Carter. Barbara is a visual artist, an author, and an instructor, which she will share with us a little later when she talks to us about her books. Barbara is a memoir writer who connects with her readers to help them understand themselves. Her stories offer hope, and they also raise awareness about various issues. Her art and her writing has led her to the importance of healing wounds from the past. Why? 
so that we can live in joy and peace. This is a message that all of us need to hear on some level. So thank you and welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Carol, and I'm glad to be here. So tell us what your first experiences were in dealing with broken people. And as a child, which is when this started, how did you deal with that? At first, I dealt with it, uh, as far as I, my memories start, with a lot of confusion and trying to understand um, life around me, um, asking a lot of questions, being very curious, and um, sometimes... Uh, having temper tantrums when I was just so frustrated with the situation. Other times, um, I I think I dissociated or kind of just froze in a sense of I was physically there, but not really there. Uh, My mother took in boarders. So there was myself, my father and mother my younger sister, and another woman who lived with us who was 13 years older than me, who had came to live with the family when she was about 13, and who my mother kept somewhat as a prisoner, who wasn't allowed as a teenager at 19 to go out and meet people or go out to dances. Uh, It was she was very confined to the home. My mother also took in elderly people, often who were missing limbs, uh, mainly legs, um, and also and some elderly women. And then she got to the point where she started to take in children. Um, she was always there to help somebody out in a situation, be it a mother went to the hospital to give birth to another child or marriages were breaking up. There was a lot of those situations. So there was always people coming and going and always a lot of broken people in a sense surrounding. I had a lot of confusion about people and things my mother would say and then things that she would do wouldn't add up. Um, there was a lot of noise in the household, a lot of talking, radio playing, TV on, a lot of chaos in a uh-huh. sense. And I didn't do well with um, that much stimulation. Um, it would be later that I would learn I did much well, better when I had more alone time. So sometimes I would have temper tantrums just from the frustration of not knowing how to deal with my feelings and the environment. And other times I believe what I did was kind of freeze in the sense of it's either fight or flight. I froze in that I was physically there, but I think in a way I kind of dissociated from the situation. Okay. As a child, you were watching this, observing this, and then as a teenager, you became one of these broken people. What happened in that transition? How did that occur? I think it it was, I don't know if it was a gradual process or a process of many layers. I'm not quite sure. Um, But 
I also found myself being in the situation of the woman who lived with us who wasn't allowed to go out or do anything. So there was this fight for freedom that I had. And that took quite a few years of battling against my mother and fighting to be able to go out of the house. And because maybe I wasn't allowed out in um, maybe as many regular or so-called normal situations, I ended up kind of turning to what might be termed as, termed as the bad crowd. Okay. And so very young, I kind of started to use alcohol as a way to feel better. That feeling better progressed into taking me down a path where I started to lose more and more control. Um, although I didn't see it that way at the time. And I thought I was being very tough and very much in control of my life. As the years progressed through my teens to later teens, I would lose control more and more. And had a lot of problems with alcohol and getting out of control and feeling hopeless, hopeless to the point of attempting to overdose, or I did overdose with pills, not so much to kill myself, but just to stop the pain. And each time was it more intense, or did you? what did you learn from this, if anything? Um, one of the times that I had ended up in the hospital and ended up not remembering passing out and woke up the next morning having found myself in a Johnny shirt with no recollection of how my clothes had been removed um, and hooked up to an IV and all the rest of it. I was really, I felt violated and then I also felt scared of how close I might have been to dying and how passed out was I that I never became conscious at all during all of this. Um, and then through that, I was referred to um, a mental health uh, unit at the hospital where I started seeing a counselor for my alcohol problem. At the time, I didn't really think it helped much, but I was starting to be Begin to recognize that I did have a problem with drinking, that I seemed to be more out of control than most of my friends. Now, one of the, let's just back up for a second and talk about, um, or fast forward rather, because what I want to talk, I know you're going to talk about your books, etc., but I want to insert a question here, and that is, because of what you've been through, and first of all, observing it in others as a child, and then as a teenager, going through so many similar circumstances do you recognize that pain in others quickly and if so have you been able to help that I definitely recognize the the pain in others um, I definitely know how much we as people try to cover up our pain by various ways and various actions um, that we do um, I've often found myself trying to help others, sometimes to a codependency state of where it's not the best thing. So I've, mm. learned, I've learned to step back on that and, and realize that people, in a sense, sometimes 
they have to come to that place of healing or want to heal within themselves, too. That I can't always save somebody else. That's right. And what made you aware of this in yourself, that you knew that you had, was it that time and you woke up in the hospital? What made you change your way of thinking and what steps did you take to change? It would take several more years after that, but that was definitely a beginning point. I, I can remember a lot of points of kind of having that awareness, but not yet being able to find my way out of kind of my darkness, I guess. Um, it was probably when it really hit home was when in my early 20s, I became pregnant. And that was a real wake-up call for me because I did not want to pass on to a child what I had seen passed on to other children. And that was really the beginning of starting to pull my life together and and deal with my problems. Now, was there ever a time in your life when you were able to discuss this with your mom and the impact that that had on you or... Is that just a closed book? Um, my mom, um, as I have come to understand in the last few years, was a very broken person herself. And probably as much as I can put a label on it, was a narcissistic personality, had a narcissistic personality disorder. She never said, I'm sorry in her life, I was never wrong. And there was never any hugs or kisses or emotional affection Aww. from her. So she was very much emotionally cut off. And my father had a problem with drinking, which was kept hid, hidden mm. from us. As a child, um, he kept his liquor bottles under the mattress of his bed or in his garage where he would go off and drink. So we, I never connected until much okay. later in life, the association between alcohol and his behavior. If you had, do you think you would have turned to alcohol in your own pain, or do you think that would have been a deterrent? I think alcohol is just so available. I probably would have still, I don't think it would have been enough to kind of, mm. I think I would have thought, not me, it won't happen to me. Right. <laughs> As we usually do. Exactly. So define a broken person. Someone who is not happy is my first sense. Uh, it could be anger. It could be a lot of sadness. Um, they seem to have endless problems. Nothing ever goes well in their life. Um, they're always down and out or can't find love. I, I've just seen so many varieties of someone broken and often using alcohol, as a way or other drugs to make them supposedly feel better. In your memoirs, and we'll, we'll talk about those in a moment, you deal with a variety of issues. Did you write your memoirs as self-help or as a story or both? My first one, Floating in Salt Water, um, it started many years ago around the year 2000 that I took a creative writing class and it was in that class that my the voice of my child self emerged in the story and through 
exploring more and more through writing, that voice got stronger and stronger. And I really had no connection to my childhood on what I felt or thought. Uh. I was very cut off and really had no sense or what I even considered as clear memories. I, I relied a lot on what other people told me happened, and I had the stories I grew up with of things that happened, but I wanted to know more about what I really thought and felt. And so I spent a summer writing that, and as I wrote, more and more came out, and to the point that the critical voice in my head got very strong and, uh. and said, how can you do this? How dare you? And I became suicidal in the sense that all I thought about was walking into the ocean and drowning myself. So recognizing that I did have the awareness at this point that this was in response to my writing and what I was digging up in my childhood, I called a therapist and did go back into therapy. And the therapist at the time felt that I wouldn't actually act on hurting myself, that I had enough um, healing or coping capabilities that it wouldn't come to that that it was more of a response to what I had written what's the second one let's start there first what's the second one about the second one starts off where the first one ends it starts off as myself as a teen and teenager at age 13 and believing that you know freedom is soon at hand it's really the loss of innocence in the sense that I gain certain things with going to dances, finding a boy and a love story, and then things start falling apart. Um, I don't think I was aware of how much anxiety I had, uh. and then later that turns into depression, and my mother um, doing something that became quite a betrayal to me, something that would follow us for, throughout the rest of our lives that she would never acknowledge or apologize for. So it was a wound we carried between us for the rest of her life. Do you have another book in you? Definitely. <laughs> um, my goal is to write a series of memoirs, each focusing on different aspects of life and different problems I faced and how I tried to work through them and how eventually I will come to much more of a healing place in my life. So what kind of feedback have you had uh, with people who have, are going through similar things? It's been interesting to have contact, people contact me and say, I can so relate to what you've said. I felt the same, though my situation was different. I know the feelings. I've connected with people who I grew up with, who I knew, but we were never friends. Now we are friends. Um, so it's been an amazing journey of, I think, helping other people to talk about stuff they have inside that's not the normal how are you I'm fine kind of conversation we have every day yes yes and don't you find writing is so therapeutic definitely and at first it was all about healing myself and then I realized it really can provide more by other people connecting and relating so it has that healing power of 
much greater things than just just for myself. And who should buy your book, your books? Anyone who has gone through difficult experiences or some people who might be curious about their early childhood. Where, where did um, your fears, um, your hopes, your dreams, so much of your personality and who you are as an adult, it all started back there. And it's kind of like unraveling a big ball of yarn. You just keep going back and you just know yourself so much better. Which sometimes surprises you probably as you're writing, correct? Yes, yes. Now tell us what, um, you said you're a visual artist and an instructor, so share that with us. I, As a child, I started to draw around the age of 10, and one of my dreams was always to be to become an artist, and that was something very unfamiliar to me. We did not have art taught in the schools I attended, so I learned on my own, and in my adult years, early adult life, I gave up on that dream when I got married and had children, and I just never made it to art school, another um, part of what my mother played a part in that also. Anyway... I came to a point in my life where it started to come together with I had been quilting for years. And then I got a gift of this frame. And I was looking for something special to put in it. And that's where it started with creating my first fabric art picture was to put in this frame. And from there, it was a slow process of one foot forward, just continually moving ahead towards my goal of becoming an artist. Um, At the time, I didn't realize that my visual images, I would have a vision of an image, and I was working in black, white, and gray at the time. I didn't work in color. And I had no idea that my images were speaking about my internal life and my Mm. world. Um, much later I came to understand what those images were saying. And so those were really kind of the beginning steps that eventually, about 10 or 12 years later, I would need to write because I just found I had so much to say where when I was working with the images, I just felt as a person my life was nothing and I had nothing to say. So how how did your attitude change from that to feeling you had so much to change was it through your writing was there another type of realization share that journey with us I think a lot of it developed through my artwork and having shows and contacting galleries and getting out and meeting other people joining arts council uh, groups and eventually I I got to a point where we did an arts program and I started to travel to schools teaching art. Um, So meeting other people and as I pushed myself out of my comfort zone, I started to gain more self-confidence and started to realize, hey, maybe I do have something to say. But I think it was really coming to the point of writing that I, I really had a I think that's where the point really hit home that I I wanted to say more 
about my feelings and thoughts and life experiences. What do you think is the deepest issue that you deal with that people could relate to in your memoirs or the ones to come? I think it all comes back or goes back to feeling we're good enough, loving ourselves, and that, again, we have to feel we're worthy or good enough. I think we often think we're different or we don't fit in or somehow we're not like somebody else. But really, when you come down to it, we all want the same things. We all want to have love, be happy. Um, feel needed. Feel needed. And we all sometimes, I think, go about trying to get those things in ways that sometimes aren't best for us. Maybe we think they're safe ways. Those feelings are kind of the root of all addictions and I think of most problems in the world. If if we were just more loving to ourselves, then I think we're more loving to others too. Something I work on more and more in my life is not worrying. That's a big thing to put mm. that worrying aside, the fear of the future, and just take it that one step at a time, that one day at a time, really. Well, isn't that part of the creed that the Alcoholics um, Anonymous uses? Is it, it is one moment and one step at a time? Yes. And I find now that there's a lot more awareness into mindfulness, which that is what it's all about, is that one moment. Um, so I think there's a much greater awareness on self-healing and I think it's part of self-healing is also about taking responsibility for ourselves there's so many places and ways to find answers and help in the world today than there was before and books have always been very important to me because that was always a way for me to gain knowledge and it was something my mother didn't control because she didn't read herself and she had no understanding of what was between the covers of a book. And so that has always been one of my main guiding forces in life is buying books and learning new things. That is amazing, isn't it? And I think the, the memoir writer is becoming more and more popular too as people are sharing their negative and positive experiences that other people can relate to. And that's essentially what you're trying to do. Uh, yes, I don't want it to be a sad, dark story. By going back, there's great humor. There's that ability to laugh now at the things I did. And there's hope that I that other people can see that the problem they might be going through now is not the end of the world. I think of a lot of teenagers and the suicide rate and that they feel whatever problem they're having now is like, oh, they'll never get past it. And I'm hoping by sharing my stories and the many, many things I thought I'd never get past that they seem so far away and so trivial in a sense now that it's like, don't give up hope. Um, I once read a beautiful little quote, um, suicide is not the answer, keep it a question. It was something like that. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and that always stuck with me. 
one of the things that you said that I found interesting when you sent me your bio was that no matter what we go through, we can find humor in that. Can you share a little bit about what you mean and maybe give us an instance where in your life you never at the moment you were going through it saw any humor and then later in hindsight thought, oh my goodness, that was funny. Well, I guess one of the things might have been in my second book, one of the things to solve my problem, I thought uh, witchcraft might be the answer. And I bought some books on witchcraft, witchcraft and thought, okay, this may be a way to cast a spell and control my mother and, you know, get the uh-huh. love I want, all those things. It, it just was like that um, magic uh, answer to all my problems. And looking back on that, um, I can see how ridiculous it was in a sense. Um, there's so many other incidents I think about, but I can't put my finger right on it, but... I know other people who've read my book have said that there's many situations that are just laugh out loud. Um, some are also brought on by things my mother says and uh. would say and do also. Uh-huh. And it is true. It's all perspective, isn't it? You know, we're in one one place in our lives and later we're in a totally different place and we look back and we're almost embarrassed to think that we were actually thinking that way. So is this what you're kind of relating to? Yes, I think um, a lot of that is... um, we we think we're the only one who are nervous or we trying to smoke was a lesson um <laughs> my friends all smoked and i didn't smoke so i thought okay i have to learn to smoke and of course you want to smoke like a pro you don't want to be coughing and gagging in front of your friends so i went home and sat down and smoked like 10 cigarettes in a row to the point of i was sick Dizzy, oh my goodness sick. And then, of course, I go in the house and I'm supposed to sit down at the supper table and eat. Instead, I throw up and (laughs) tell my mother, oh, I must have the flu. All this leads to just, you know, more and more out of control, out of control craziness. But, yeah, how ridiculous that was so that I could then present myself as a pro smoker. (laughs) You know, you're probably not the only one. I know. Yeah, yeah. Probably not. I think somebody who read my last book said it's the first time I heard someone say how hard they had to try to be a smoker. Because I think for her it was the same thing where other people just kind of, oh, it was easy. You know, you just pick up Uh a cigarette and you smoke. (laughs) Was it hard to quit? Uh, Yes. Smoking was one of the hardest things. I tried several times through my teen years, and it wasn't actually, with nowadays and smoking and pregnancy being what they are, uh, but back in the early 80s, there wasn't the taboo against it. It was Uh in my third pregnancy that I finally gave up smoking for good. And now you can turn back and laugh about it. Yeah. Okay, well, we will have... 
all of your uh, social media connections, of course, and also your books and where they can be purchased and how people, you know, a little bit of your story so that people can relate along with your interview. That'll all be in your show notes. And I'm sure that this will be an encouragement to those who have not only listened today, but also will be able to pick up your books and get a little bit of insight and some possible inspiration, motivation to do some changes in their own lives and also to have someone they can relate to. And I'm sure you are open to contact if anybody wants to contact you and maybe share their story. So I thank you, Barbara, for what you shared today. And we look forward to that third book as well. Thank you, Carol. And I do have a Facebook page that I do little weekly posts of something happening with my writing or with artwork or with healing. Okay. Yes, I already have that in the show notes, okay, and, but that, that's good to include that as well. And, and um, we all need those little bits, don't we? Those little it's, snippets. It's an easy way to reach out to me too. Okay, yeah. perfect. All right, thank you, Barbara, so much, and goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.